Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, another good morning and welcome to you. My name is Ryan, as mentioned, and one of the pastors here and would love to help you should you have any questions about what you're hearing today or how you can know more about what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be taking a look at the Gospel of John this morning, a little shift from our missions month. And so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. If not, it's printed there in your bulletin for you on page 13. We're going to read that together, but we're picking back up on a series that we began well over a year ago here in the book of John. Our plan is to walk through John all the way through the rest of the spring before the summer to take a look at who Jesus is. If you'll remember, John gives us something. The writer of John gives us something. A lot of times we may wonder, why is this letter written? But in John chapter 20, we're told why John writes this letter. And it is as follows, that these things are written, says John, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John was wanting to show you Jesus and to show you the life that's in him. And we're going to take a look at that especially today before we do so. As we read this text, I want to just put a question before you. Have you ever thought about your life in retrospect and what you hope for it to be about? So so put another way, If people were to say, oh, Ryan, oh, Mike, oh, Kim, his or her life was a well-lived one because of blank, what would go in that blank? Why would your life be deemed worthy? Why would it be celebrated? John here today does that for Jesus. He shows us what goes in Jesus's blank that makes him so great that makes him so amazing, that makes him so wonderful. And my hope is this morning, by the time that we're done, is that you'll see that what goes in that blank has to do with you as well. So kids, today I would like for you to listen this morning for an illustration about a stream and why access to that stream has something to do with what Jesus wants us to learn this morning. I invite you now, if you're willing, if you're able, if you'd stand as I read and if you'll follow along, asking the Lord Jesus to teach us from his word this morning. John writes, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you please pray with me? You can be seated. Father, we ask that you would once again come and open our eyes that we would see Jesus in your word. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see that which you through your apostles and prophets put down for our instruction, but not just our instruction, for our comfort, for our hope. And we ask that you would do that now once again. Your servants are listening, please come. We wait on you. It's through Christ that we pray, amen. 
Well, just to jump right in this morning, our text tells us today about the life that John told us about, the life that Jesus wants us to have, that Jesus was sent to give us life. But I want you to see right at the outset that some gifts, as one pastor put it, and I'm sure you know to be true, that for them to be appreciated and truly received means first of all, that we must acknowledge a problem, a problem. You see, if you on Christmas morning open up this nice fine box, it's got nice wrapping and a bow around it, and as you're shredding into the box, you open it up, and there for you, in a box about this size, are 24 sticks of deodorant for you. For you to receive that gift, and to do so with Thanksgiving means you have to be honest about some things. That you're gonna have to be honest about some things. And I want you to see here that Jesus, when he speaks of life, there is an implicit problem that we have to own before we can receive it. Namely, that we have been cut off from the life that he came to restore us to. Here in John 17, we learn from the only recorded prayer of Jesus, a prayer that's been called in the history of the church, the great high priestly prayer of Christ. And it is about the life that Christ has come to give. And in these five short verses, Jesus is telling us many things. And there's probably four sermons in here. But not the least of which is that what that life is about and how we get it. And so I'd like to look at three things this morning that Jesus says about the true life. And the first is in verse two, where we see the source of this life or life's source. Look with me at verse one and two. There Jesus shows us where that life comes from, doesn't he? The Father has given authority over to the Son for what? Over all a flesh to give eternal life. Put simply, Jesus is the source of eternal life and it is found in him. And now when the Bible speaks of eternal life, it is primarily speaking about the character or the quality of the life in the age to come. The emphasis here is that Jesus gives that life now. It, it breaks in from the future, life into the ages, has broken in and that quality of life has been given to those whom he gives it. And that's one thing that he wants you to see that we learn that it's not so much about a, uh, it's not something that we bargain for, it's not something that we inherit through our good works, but the text tells us over and over again, it comes to us, there it is, the G word, it is given. It is a gift to be received. That this dynamic life, this living life, if you will, is found only in the triune God. In one of my favorite scenes in the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll find the character Jill wrestling with her desperate thirst for water, which is the figure for eternal life. And the lion Aslan who stands between her, this Christ figure who is standing in her way to the, to the water. Lewis writes, the delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now without even noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat, girls, she asked. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. 
but it didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry, it just said it. Well, I daren't come and drink, said Jill, then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming yet another step nearer, I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. The life you want, the life that you were made for has its source, John says, in Jesus who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. And your soul will starve until you come to him. Think about it for just a moment. How many of us have found ourselves running to a thousand other streams with more putrid, with more rank water that when we plunge our hands in it to draw it to our mouth, it only makes us more miserable and doubles down. It doubles down on our thirst. There is no other stream. And I want you to see that this runs crash course with what our culture tells us that life consists in. It's not in God, of course, but it's in finding your own truth, finding your own expression of what is most inner to you that needs to get out, that needs to break free, and heaven forbid anybody get in your way of doing that. But I want you to see in contrast that Jesus is saying that life is in him. And I want you to see too that Jesus' reason for living His reason for living was to live as the Father directed, and this is life. At this stream there is life eternal and life unimaginable. And when you find your life in him, he is the key that makes sense of the entirety of your life too. And so I just want you to begin to see what the source of life is. And I want you to notice secondly, not just that it is in Jesus, but I want you to see what that life is like. A little bit longer point this morning, but we'll move through it quickly. Look back with me at the text where we see not only life's source, but secondly, life's essence, what it is like, what it consists in. In verse two, we're told that Jesus was given authority to give eternal life to all that the Father had given to him. The next verse later, we see this, that Jesus tells us what that eternal life consists in. Verse three, a high water mark, in my opinion, for the book of John. It is a beautiful text, and I, I, can't cr- I wish I could cram 20 years of reflecting on the beauty of this. I'll spare you that time, I know lunch is coming. But here's what I want you to see. This is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, I think sometimes we can think of eternal life as just sort of living forever or something like that. And that's not altogether bad. But when Jesus speaks here, he is primarily talking about, again, that quality of life rather than quantity of life. He is speaking about life in the age to come and all that characterizes it. It's eternality included, but it's peace, it's joy, it's forgiveness. That life has broken in to the ages with him. And notice he doesn't say it's endless bliss and he doesn't say that it's about being reunited with our loved ones who have died in the Lord, though those things are both true. But they're only true because of what verse three tells us, that we get to what? We get to know God. That is what eternal life is, knowing God first and foremost. And what this is saying is absolutely staggering, friends. My my words fail to adequately express it. But Jesus is saying that the eternal, 
infinite loving one who exists as one being in three persons forever who created all things that we have knowledge of this one that Jesus has come to grant. And I don't want you to sell this short. When Jesus says it's to know him, he's not talking about mere intellectual apprehension, a mere knowledge of facts like you might know calculus or the models of cars, so to speak. It's not really even belief that God exists, and that's gonna be troubling for some of you. You go, wait, what a second? I thought that was what that meant. That's not what he's talking about. Even the demons believe that there is a God. That's not saving knowledge. What Jesus is getting at here is an intimate, deep, personal knowledge, a knowledge of persons that we have, get it again, with God. Like we might know what makes our kids tick or the love that we have for our spouse. It's that sort of personal knowledge, the knowledge of persons that Jesus is saying that we have. And without this knowledge, I'll put it very sharply, you do not have eternal life. Without this knowledge, you are not a Christian. I'm sorry to put it so bluntly, but that's what it's saying. If we were to read the Bible thinking that that's what it's about, or it was about being a religious person who comes to church regularly, that's not it, friends. There will be many Bible-believing, Bible-reading, church-going, religious types who will be among those who spend the rest of eternity away from Christ. Listen to what the uh, writer J.I. Packer from his book, Knowing God, what he writes about this. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his or her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook of life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Can you say that? You see, this is a two-way street of real rich blessing, friends, because it's not only that we have knowledge of God, but that in communion with him, he meets us. He meets us in our sorrows. So that when you come to him and you say, my life, my life is falling apart. Jesus is with us by the Spirit, and he says, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm right here with you. I'm just right here with you. And that when we screw up, the gift that we have is the gift of a father. And an empty religious frame would say something like this, I've screwed up, and my dad is going to kill me. But what lies at the heart of the gospel is that we can say these words, I've screwed up. I better call my dad. I better call my dad. That's what the eternal life is that Jesus gives to us. It's the great promises of forgiveness in him, friends. Do you have knowledge of that this morning? What does that mean for you and me, friends? I want this to be precious to your heart. And I want to show you that if his eternal life is in you, I want to show you how it gives you a deep purpose as well. It means first. It means first that you, 
that you have a future that is secure. And I wanna just highlight this underneath this great third heading of, God, of the life's purpose that we have. So first of all, we have its, 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 its origin or its source, life's essence, and then thirdly, life's purpose. Take a look with me back at this, at this text. Notice what Jesus prays in, in, the fifth, uh, in the first verse there. He says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. And look again in verse five, that Jesus repeats this request, asking the Father to glorify me. To glorify shows up five times in this small section, showing us how it is important to Jesus. What is going on here? This is what this is showing us. That long before the worlds existed, there was God. In the beginning was God. And forever eternally existent, Father, Son, and Spirit were out glorifying one another. That the Father was seeking to glorify the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit doing likewise, and the Son doing likewise, each going downward as it were, giving up of their glory to make much of the glory of each of the other persons. That their whole existence was a dance. That's how the theologians talk about it. A dance of love, a dance of enjoyment, a dance of mutual and, and self and of other person glory. And Jesus comes along and he rips the heart of the Trinity open as it were, so to speak. And he invites us into that. That's the end, Edward said for which the world was made. That men and women might be welcomed in to this intra-Trinitarian joy and delight. That is eternal life. And when you see that, you're beginning to see how your life has purpose because look at what the text tells us. It tells us that Jesus came and the glorifying of the Son was the work that he was about to finish, his hour, that is always the hour of his death. The hour has come. And Jesus is saying, glorify me, Father. Not just in what precedes his death, no, inclusive of what will happen some 15, 16, 17 hours later, and the resurrection that will happen three days later, and his future ascension that all of the work of God he is being asked, he's asking the Father to glorify. So friends, let me put a point on it. The Son's glory was in and through the shameful, mocking death on the cross. And this means that when Jesus died on the cross, he was doing what the Trinity has been doing forever. Giving up their life for others. His glory is saving those who were cut off from God. And in this way, he glorifies the Father. So what does this mean for you and me? I want this, like I said, to be so wonderful on your hearts this morning. If we were to jump down in the text of verse 24, we would read of Jesus's prayer continuing. Father, he says, I desire that they also, that's you and me, whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you've loved me from the foundation of the world. Friends, this is our future. This is our great end. And secondly, it means that if our lives are meant to follow Jesus, which they are, that it is self-giving that, will, that must characterize our lives the giving up of self, the giving up of our own glory for others, the giving up of our own glory for God and for our neighbor. 
We won't experience the life we were made for if we don't make him the central aim of our lives. It was what we were made for, the self must go. And every time we make ourselves the point, we not only go against the very fabric at the heart of reality, and thus how we are created, but we are making ourselves miserable and missing out on life, capital L life. So why do you think that Jesus would say something like this? For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It's not because he's some killjoy who wants to crush your good time. He wants you to be happy in him. He wants you to have life in him and love him and serve him. And I love what Lewis says just one more time this morning. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And so the life that Jesus comes to give really is the key that makes sense of our lives. Why you were made, why you exist, friends, it's for God's glory. That is why Jesus saves us to magnify the Father but not as mere pawns, not as throwaway trash that's collateral thrown away when the job is done. Absolutely not. No, 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 we are recipients. We've been included in, into all of the very heart of God by his life. That's what it means to know him. And it gives dignity and it gives purpose for your life. One that colors and narrates and gives you a story to find yourself in, far from being an abstraction. It's meant to be enjoyed now as we walk and live with him. In closing, Pulitzer Prize winner Philip Roth highlights the longing for this purpose, for a life that lasts, and he does so by way of negation through his book's title, Nameless Protagonist, a character by the name of Everyman. Everyman lives his life only for the present, seeking the joys of this world and not able to be bothered by the questions of life's end. Worry about oblivion, he says. Psh. When you're 75, the remote future will be time enough to anguish over the ultimate catastrophe. And as every man ages, however, his life accomplishments begin to erode, his closest relationships deteriorate, the people around him begin to die, and toward the end of his life, he thought he had been honest with himself about death. But having lived life, something he did not have before he had lived it. Having lived life and seen its joys, he now realizes something he couldn't have seen when he was younger. He says, once one has tasted life, death does not even seem natural. I had thought, I had secretly, I was certain that life goes on and on. And so do you see what he is saying? He intuited that life was the way and that death was a horrible intrusion, as certain as it was in life. And he wished it was so much more than the quote, waiting and waiting for nothing. Jesus, in the work that he did, he was glorified to show us the way to life that every man longed for and each of our hearts too. You can begin to see the metaphor, the picture working out. That life isn't one big journey into oblivion. The life can be had now in Christ. And here's the thing, that that life can be had today. Entrance into that life 
or better, that life into us may be had now. The wonder at the very heart of all of creation is that God has made a way for us to know him as father, as a redeemer, as a lover and his friend. No other religion on the planet gives you this. The cross shows us that he experienced being cut off, that he was cut off from God's presence as he was being glorified so that we might have God's presence forever and ever, not merely have it, but to delight in it and enjoy it and him enjoy us forever and ever. His greatness, his glory, what goes into his blank is accomplishing what he was sent to do by the Father, which is to save all who would look to him. Do you know him? Do you know him today? Do you know him well? If not, meet with John, meet him in John with you today. And I'm telling you, listen, if you can't wait to get out those doors before you do, I'm be standing right up here, right after the service, and I'll tell you how you can know him. I'll tell you how you can know this God this morning. Let's pray together, amen and amen. Father, you, the Son, the Spirit are all together lovely. And we thank you that you love us and you care for us, that you have given us your very life, eternal life, in the sun. Oh, Father, help us to see it. Open our eyes, we pray. Help us to love Jesus because of it. And it's in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Covenant, please visit covenantpres.com.